I'm Will McHenry, and joining us today on this Ponar's Eurasia podcast is Lucan Wei, Professor of Political Science at the University of Toronto. Uh, Lucan, thank you so much for joining me for this Ponar's podcast. Your best-known work focuses on hybrid or competitive authoritarian rule. In 2002, you and your co-author Stephen Levitsky wrote a famous article that later became a book published in 2010 entitled Competitive Authoritarianism, Hybrid Regimes After the Cold War. Um, It's been close to 20 years since your initial article that introduced the concept of competitive authoritarianism. Can you explain this concept and what relevance it has for politics today? So competitive authoritarianism describes a type of political regime in which democratic institutions have real meaning, in which elections are actually competitive, but in which there's substantial amounts of authoritarian abuse. This are cases in which um, you know, opposition is harassed, there's um, some amount of fraud, um, oftentimes journalists are arrested, um, but nonetheless uh, elections are this central means of, of gaining and keeping power. And these kind of regimes um, uh, proliferated after the end of the Cold War, uh, in large part because the sort of sources of full-scale authoritarianism were gone, there was no longer Soviet assistance. Um, the United States was less concerned about propping up anti-communist dictators. Uh, and one thing that's interesting is that um, these have continued until today. We have, um, with, we have the emergence in Eastern Europe, in Hungary, and possibly Poland, sort of new competitive authoritarian regimes. And this was just unique because the Hungary um, as well as Venezuela were, were previously consolidated democracies, so this is really kind of a new form of, um, you know, new type of competitive authoritarian regime. Most of the competitive authoritarian regimes emerged out of uh, full-scale autocracies um, after the Cold War. And Hungary, I think, is a particularly interesting case because here it's an example of, of something we call um, the un- uneven playing field in which there is actually not very many uh, overt civil liberties violations, but in which the government uses patronage and other means to effectively exclude um, opposition from access to media and the like. Much more recently, you've written on the Russian government's efforts to interfere in democracy. What kind of threat does the Russian government present to democracy? So I think there are a couple of things. First of all, I think um, we've seen in the last five years a remarkable uptick in Russian interference in Western elections. Uh, for the first, uh, from 1991 to 2014, Russia interfered in, I estimate, 10 post-Soviet elections, but interference was, was entirely focused on the former Soviet region. Then suddenly in 2015, we see uh, Russia interfering in a variety of me- means in Western elections, uh, which is itself kind of remarkable. Uh, and I think that it's, you know, I think it's something that's worth paying attention to, but I sometimes think that its impact is exaggerated. And, and for the most part, I, I feel that Russian interference is more of a symptom of crises in Western democracy than a cause of the crisis. Uh, you know, they basically, the only reason why Russia, you know, I think um, there is a possibility that Russia did tip the election in the United States in 2016. Uh, but for the most part, it was simply amplifying um, problems and polarization that had long existed anyways. So I'm not sure 
um, that, that Russia, Russia certainly itself is not the cause of, of the crisis in, in Western democracy that exists today. Great. Finally, uh, you and Stephen Levitsky are now finishing a book on the durability of revolutionary regimes. Can you please tell us about this book and what you see as the main lessons for contemporary authoritarianism? So, in this book, we look at the sort of historical social uh, regimes founded in violent social revolutions in cases like uh, Russia in 1917, right here in, Petro in St. Petersburg, Petrograd, and uh, China and Cuba. These are cases very different from the sort of political revolutions we see more recently, as in the cultural revolutions that come to power, um, but it simply changes who's in government. Here we're talking about cases that governments come to power and seek to radically transform uh, the social structure by seizing property um, and the like. And these we found um, are, one, highly, highly ideological and tend to um, create um, very durable authoritarian regimes for a variety of reasons. And what I think is interesting is now is that in the contemporary era, you really don't see um, many of these kind of regimes. Most Autocrats today, autocrats today tend to be very weakly ideological, and I think that as a result, um, what you know, authoritarian regimes on the whole are somewhat weaker than they were in an earlier era. In the sense that, not that the sort of the Putin regime is going to fall necessarily anytime soon, but the, the sort of classic revolutionary regimes uh, were sort of enormously durable and could withstand. Um, extensive crisis, um, you know, in the Soviet case, you know, invasion of, of Germany and you know destroyed the country, but nonetheless the Soviet regime survived. And I think in that sense, you know, the contemporary authoritarian regimes are much weaker.